This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 110 of Healthy Critters Radio on the Horse Radio Network. Healthy Critters Radio is brought to you by Biostar US. Find them online at biostarus.com. And coming up on today's show, we're going to talk to dressage trainer Brian Ford. Patty shares her tips for maintaining your horse's tail in beautiful condition. In Critter Nutrition, we focus on the next generation of probiotics for horses and dogs. And in Coffee Clatch, we're going to ask, what would be the title of your dog's autobiography? I'm Tigger. Hi, I'm Patty. <laughs> I'm producer Jen, and thanks for tuning in to the Healthy Critters Radio Show. What's the What's the deal, Tig? What's the well, deal, Patty? I have found the ultimate uh, pandemic food. <gasps> oh, tell me it's ice cream. It is. Yay! Uh- <laughs> It's Hagen dazs brownie ice cream with Bailey's Irish cream. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and it's all mixed together by Hagen dazs Oh, so you don't add your own Bailey's? Oh. No. They mm. have one for Bailey's. They have one with whiskey, and they have one with rum. Oh, my gosh. That is so funny. Wait one cotton-picking minute. <laughs> yeah. Jen is speed dialing the Google search. That's right. Yeah. It's, it's, Irish it's called, cream the, brownie. Yep. It's ice called their, their, the line is called spirits. Hagen dazs spirits ice cream. Contains 0.5% alcohol by volume. Well, I've got a uh, Publix supermarket uh, delivery <laughs> shopping cart already started. I'm just going to add that to it. <laughs> it's unbelievable. So can you get that curbside and does it have to be, uh, because there's liquor in it, does it, you know, can, can my son pick this up at 18 <laughs> years old? Well, there was no sign on the um, ice cream, uh, you know, freezer saying, you know, only for people over 18 or 21. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. Okay. That's good to know. It's, and what I do is I I also have a little bit of um, Haagen-Dazs vanilla. So I take a, a little bit of the brownie with the, the um, Baileys and then a little bit of the vanilla. <laughs> this is all brilliant. For the most unbelievable ice cream experience. Oh, yeah. <laughs> It sounds good. It's so good. Now you might like the rum one, Patty. Um, yeah, I do like rum. <laughs> I know. So yeah, I anyway, like. um, if you're looking for a delicious, tasty um, treat during COVID, I highly recommend Haagen-Dazs Spirits Haagen-Dazs ice cream. Spirits. 
and even if there's no pandemic, if you're listening to this show in uh, May of 2023, it's still good ice cream. Just going to put that out there. It's the best ice cream. And we have the best show this today. Yay. I would would agree. Because we have my very good friend, Brian Ford, and we have tips for beautiful tail, horse tails, and... Lots of fun things, so get ready. Here we go. Stay tuned. And we're here with my very good friend, Brian Ford. I'm so happy to have him on the show. He's a dressage trainer that I have known for 30 years. We've had so many crazy adventures together in horses and otherwise. And he he had a client's horse that was a beta test for um, an upcoming Biostar f- formula. And in the process of our conversations about gut and and ulcers, he made a discovery that I, I think is quite profound or a, a discovery connection um, about how we ride our horses. And... I was so excited by it that I said, I've got to bring you on Healthy Critter so you could talk about it. So um, without further ado, um, Brian, what, what, is, what is the discovery that, or the connection that you have made that has made such a difference in the horses that you ride? Well, it started when a student of mine forwarded me a link to a YouTube video done by Wendy. Murdoch. And in that, she had a two-foot-tall horse skeleton, which she used to demonstrate what happens when their chest cavity, which is floatable between their front legs, goes down. And what the horse does is throws its head up and back to compensate for the sudden loss of balance. And then, as she went on to explain, oftentimes we'll tie the head down to get them quote-unquote, round, which only compounds the problem. So that three-minute video that I watched from her got me to thinking about the chest cavity of the horse. And in the training that I've had over the years and the books that I've read for dressage riding, it's, to me, my interpretation, the long and the short of it has been that It's about riding the horse from behind, getting the hind feet quicker off the ground, getting the hind limbs further under the horse's body, and on and on and on. And this video got me thinking, what if, in fact, we're riding the wrong end of the horse? What if, instead of our legs behind the girth, our legs were in front of or at the girth, And instead of worrying about what the hind end was doing, focusing on instead raising the cavity of the chest. So being in quarantine where my owners are, have been uh, unable to come to the barns to ride their horses, I've been riding these horses exclusively through the past nine weeks, which has given me time to experiment with my this thought that I had about the chest cavity of a horse. And so horse after horse, I did what I just laid out and slid my legs forward instead of back and not worried about the hind end. And in fact, tried to lift the chest cavity 
which after about a two-second squeeze of my lower legs, the chest cavity came up and lifted into the withers and the horse's frame came up and elevated up front. And then what happened was the horse was moving from behind on its own. And my thought was that by raising the chest cavity, we allow room, space for the hind limbs to come under, to step forward. Instead of stepping into a chest cavity that's so low, it inhibits the movement of the hind end. So what would happen if instead of all that driving from behind, we really focused on getting the forehand up through the chest cavity and then having room for the hind limbs to freely move forward onto the horse's body. And horse after horse that I've been doing this with has responded in such a positive way. So I've not just had the experience with one particular horse that I knew really well or one horse that I've been riding for years and years. Some of these horses have just come to me recently and then I started when the students came back to being able to take a lesson, I started applying it to my lesson work with these students, one of whom has a horse that would drop down in front and bolt and spin and buck like crazy and all of this stuff. So with her in particular, who's a, a jumper, we tried it on the flat and then over a couple of a gymnastic and raised her chest between the jumps and then on the landing side again to lift the chest to rebalance the horse and don't you know through the flying changes which would have been unclean behind became suddenly clean she suddenly was able to negotiate the turn after the last obstacle but without falling down in front we think they fall over a shoulder or drop a shoulder but they don't they drop their chest cavity as wendy murdoch explained in this video so in the application, not only for myself, who rides so many horses a week that I feel like I, I have the strength to do it much more easily than an adult amateur, but even these women who have been not riding for two months get back on their horse and they can do what I just explained and come up with this amazing result. So it just blew my mind because after 43 years in the business, I've never thought about it this way. Never. And I never heard it explained to me this way about that application of how to ride the front end of the horse, not with your hands, but with your legs. So how do, yeah. how about the rider's uh, role in this, their upper body in raising the, the chest cavity of the horse? Yeah, that's a really good point because in raising the horse's chest cavity, all of a sudden they can breathe better. They can balance themselves. So what if the rider's chest cavity was raised as well? So by doing that, you and the horse's center of mass become elevated. And then there's this, as Carl McCulloch used to say, grow tall, taller. And that's what, what I believe he meant was to raise your chest cavity which every time I'm sitting on ortho, I think those two words, tall, taller, and I do it, there's always an immediate result for the better. Can you raise the chest cavity by just raising your the rider's chest, by just growing taller on its own? I don't think you can. Okay. I think at the time when the horse's muscles are developed, strengthened enough for them to maintain that, way of going more easily, 
then I think you can get it so succinctly with that slight communication of your upper body to their core, their center of mass. So the, the answer would be in the short term, no, but in the long term, that would be my assumption that that would well, it happen. Probably would change, it would probably change your half halt. So if you, if you start to link those things together, I mean, your half halt probably becomes sitting tall and taller. And then the horse understands, like you were saying, once it gets stronger um, and, and lifting his own chest out of the way, it would probably become just more like, you know, a breathing half halt or, um, you know, just rebalancing them. But maybe the half halt is more the raising of the chest is keeping that, that chest cavity up. Here's the thing about my, what I think about a half halt, which has been explained so many different ways (laughs) by so many different people. And I really loved Robert Dover's explanation was to, for the riders to breathe deep, close their legs and then close their hands and then soften. And I thought that, but you see, when he said breathe deep, well, what happens? You grow tall, you grow taller, your chest cavity comes up, right? Then you close your legs and then you receive it in your hands. So the, the, the hand is the receptor of the lift of the chest cavity. Yeah. Because so, you really so, ride it up into the horse's withers and there are your hands and then it's all connected. But in, so, in an easier way, I think. So what? So walk walk me through what you're doing different um, with you. So you're 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 saying that you're bringing your legs more forward rather than have them yeah. back. Um, yes. And so, um, and what are you doing with the weight of your seat? I'm not influencing the horse with the weight of my seat at the moment, what we're talking about doing. So when I get on my horse, say, I always spend 15 to 20 minutes in the walk. And in that time, what I'm doing on a long rain, and in the beginning, the horse is not, of course, connected or anything else. But in that walk time, I just work on lifting the chest as I'm walking around either in the field or in the dressage ring or the jump ring, wherever I am, I just work on lifting the chest in repetitive requests with my lower legs. And as I've done that, the horse starts to lift the chest and then they connect into both my reins while they're long and it becomes this equal pressure. And then I define the outside range of the horse and once they can accept that, they voluntarily release off the inside rein. And then what happens is they just move forward on their own. And I don't have to ride them forward or drive them forward. They want to go. And, they, and it feels as though there's a turbocharge that kicks in that comes out of nowhere. Hmm. Well, I guess they're getting out of the way of themselves. I mean, that would make sense. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So I, 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 I've had this recent discussion with Tigger about this. And I said, now maybe I've been living under a rock, but, and maybe I'm behind the eight ball and I don't know any better, but this to me seems different. And it seems easy to do. Like one of my students who just came back after eight weeks off said, you know, what you're saying for me to do is not complicated and it's physically not difficult. And yet her horse looked like something out of a 
German sales video when she was writing it. After just doing what I just said, she, she'd been off for two months. I've been riding horses, but I mean, it was an amazing transformation. And then in the in the walk pirouettes that used to take four strides, take three, and they're so so small behind, hmm. and they're active behind, but they're so it's so much tighter. The space look because I'm moving the chest. And I said to Tigger, you know, the, one of the most fabulous exercises that I learned from Colin Makoka was the square exercise. And I always yeah. thought, because if you do 20 corners, by the time you're on the 21st corner, you sort of have the horse where you want it to be, right? Yeah. And I thought, well, it was about the shoulder, moving the shoulder from the outside to the inside, turning the horse around the inner hind leg. But really what I think has been going on with the square exercise is the fact that we're shifting the chest cavity. And by doing those turns, we're lifting the chest cavity. And well, that's why sense. it works. That's why it works so well on any horse you do it with. So then imagine your, your caterpillar coming from the chest cavity being moved. And then the, the front end is so elevated that the hind end can keep the canter rhythm through the pirouette. And the yeah. flying changes are easier. Everything's easier to me, it seems. I don't know. Maybe I'm crazy, but this has what? been my experimentation while I've been having <laughs> some time on my hands and a lot of horses to play with. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. It's really interesting. You know, um, uh, I got from a client, which I shared with um, Brian, I got two mm -hmm. short little videos. One was of this mare and, you know, she's going along and she's moving very nicely and forward and up. And then the next video is she's moving along and she just has a, you know, mare fit and drops and spins and, and bucks. Yeah. And I looked at it when I was watching it, rather than just looking at it from where the hind legs are and da, 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 I was really looking at where the chest was because I had this in my mind. And Patty and Jennifer, it was unbelievable. You could see the horse dropping the chest as seconds before she bolted, spun, and, and bucked. Yes, exactly. And Tigger, the videos that you sent me of that horse came through finally, so I was able to see it for oh, myself. God. And it's so fast when they do it. But yeah. in then extrapolating from this theory about the chest cavity, riding the chest cavity is just that fact that it can you can literally abort the spook or the bolt of the spin or whatever it is if you can get the chest cavity back up again before they get the chance to drop it and then take it. Yeah. And with them. <laughs> Hopefully. Yes. Yeah, that was that was close. That was a that was a scary bolt she did. Oh, and the buck was wicked. Mm-hmm. Mm. So then couple that with what Tigger and I have been talking about with this ulcer treatment that she's been beta testing and this one particular mare that I put on it five weeks ago who came up from Florida in the fall. So I really didn't know her very well. In the first month she was here, she was kind of placid and not too much going on, except she didn't want to be girthed and she didn't 
like her blankets buckled across her chest and she would bite. So I checked her hot, her ulcer spots and she was hot on all of her spots. And we put her on the typical meds that you put them on and the symptoms subsided to a certain degree, but not really. And then when that's finished, it was back to, I'm going to bite your head off. When you go by my girth, I'm going to reach around and bite you with, you know, buckling the, the blanket across my chest, all of this stuff. And a look in her eye that was just not happy, not settled. And then recently when she came up, the owners, two women that bought her, discovered that you don't want to be on her when it's close to feeding time. And I wasn't there that particular afternoon, but okay, after that, we avoided any time doing a ride or a lesson around feeding time in the afternoon. So the mayor's been on these for four, five weeks, as I said, and where she's at, they changed the feeding time, unbeknownst to me, in the afternoon from 4.15 to 4.45. So thinking she was fed at 4.15, I walked into the barn at quarter to five, and some of the horses lunged at their stall guards, and some of them were screaming their heads off. And I could see the wheelbarrow and the guys at the far end of the aisle where the feed room is. And the mayor is standing at her stall guard, completely quiet, just observing and listening to all the horses and their racket. And in my head, I thought, well, she must have eaten already. They are obviously about to feed these horses, but she must have gotten her grain first. Well, no, she hadn't gotten her grain first. She just was happy to stand there and wait, which was an amazing transformation in this horse, an amazing transformation. And now when you're around her, the owner came down recently after an absence of two months and went to put her sheet on, buckled the buckles across her chest and said, she's not biting me. I said, yeah, she's not biting me when I put the girth on either. So it, in my mind, goes to show the the importance of the gut paying attention and their behavioral issues, including not just those blatant issues on the ground, but what happens under saddle too. Here, here. <laughs> that how often are they acting out of pain, running away from pain in any way that they can express it? You know, but this product has been extremely successful with this bear. And I've just put another one of my horses on it. Yay! So thank you, Tigger. (laughs) Buy a store, you have. But honestly, I mean, Patty, I really, I when when Brian was was walking me through this. elevating the chest cavity i thought of you oh and that's I, funny because that's that's it's really I, cool i was so, so excited cool. for you to listen to brian because i knew that you would gravitate to it i knew that you would hear it and you would visualize well, it in I, your head seeing it work absolutely yeah because i i'm thinking at this one particular horse right now uh that I, that could, I, if I, and I absolutely, it's interesting that you say this, Brian, cause I, when I always think about getting the chest out of the way, not in the way you're saying it, but like for canter uh-huh. pirouettes, and I've always thought of it that way, but I, 
wasn't thinking about it when a horse sort of, I've got this one really uh, kind of, he's, he's a sensitive but not hot little Dutch uh, gelding and he's beautiful and super, super sweet. But he, um, he'll, and I, I, when I watch him go, if I'll lunge him sometimes or whatever, I'll be like, oh my gosh, he's totally dropping his chest and he's got these great hind legs and whatever. And I keep thinking about, okay, I've got to get those hind legs quicker and get him sitting more behind, but I'm going to think about right. that differently. Right. Exactly. That's exactly what I'm thinking myself is that it's yeah. maybe it's not that because what are we, what are we driving them into? And if we don't even yeah. realize that like you realized where his chest cavity was, but how many of us even think that way? Not oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? so yeah. We're driving him into a wheelbarrow that's yeah. loaded with cinder blocks and it's on the front tire and we keep riding the handlebars forward and into the ground, into the ground, into yeah. the ground. Yeah. Well, and it, it's frustrating for them and that can make them want to bolt or make them want to. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah, get away from it. Yeah, no, it totally makes sense. Totally so, Patty, let me ask you, how was your, what was your approach in the caterpillar regarding the chest cavity? I have just always in my mind when I, you know, how we learn by watching other people and I, um, you know, and I trained with, with Robert uh, for years and years and years and he always talked about you know, um, lifting the chest up and out of the way. So that was just sort of how I learned that idea. Um, mm -hmm. and, you know, and turning the shoulders around the inside hind legs. So I've always thought of that. And I just feel like, you know, I, I, if you have them in the outside rain, you kind of scoop the outside rain and place their shoulder. I always think about turning the shoulders. Um, right. after at, it, again, I don't know that I would have sat here and said, I would have said lifted the shoulders. I don't know what it, I would have thought about lifting the chest, but in reality, when I think about me visualizing it, I'm absolutely thinking about that whole square, that whole box coming up and out of the way. And, you know, I don't know if mm -hmm. that makes sense, but that's how I've always written it in my mind. Yes, so, it does make sense. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it, 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 we can apply it to the horse at a walk, trot, and a canter. It doesn't have to be a canter pirouette. But that yeah, exactly. whole notion of of lifting the chest cavity up into the wither, I think that's a great visual image for a rider. And then what it does is it lifts them up into your hands, too. Yep. But you don't raise yeah. them up into the hands. So, Brian, how can uh, our listeners uh, get in touch with you? Is it Facebook? Is that the best place yes, to Facebook send you a message? Facebook. Yes, exactly. And my last so, name is Ford. F-O-R-D-E, and it's B-R-I-A-N. Correct. <laughs> well, thanks, honey. <laughs> You're welcome, honey. <laughs> <laughs> Things. How about you, Hedwig? No, because Pomeranians are perfect and don't get stupid viruses like you people. <laughs> <laughs> so we have a we have a very very important um, query for you this evening, Hedwig. If you don't mind, this is serious stuff. 
Mm-hmm. In this particular time, everybody's spending a lot more time at home than they normally do. A lot of folks, mm-hmm. a lot of folks are bringing fur babies into their families because they're at home when they. Have but we don't home. call us fur babies because we're not fur babies. <laughs> Point about, taken. That's so funny. A lot of people are bringing flea bitten mutts into their homes. <laughs> And, uh, Not flea bitten either. <laughs> we are dogs or cats. Be clear and specific in your speaking. Okay, down to the question, Jennifer. Yes. And the question is, with all of these new dogs coming into people's homes, mm-hmm. there's a lot of new dog toys coming into these homes. With oh, these yes, dogs. we have so many toys. So many house. toys. Yeah, and a very, very popular um, segment of the dog toy population is the stuffed toy. It looks like a stuffed toy for a person, except it has a squeaker inside. And oh yes, yeah, those mm-hmm. are. And in, and you know these things because you've been around the block a few times, Hedwigs. Are these stuffed toys good? Are they bad? Should they be shredded? Should they be cherished? What? Are they even a good toy? I mean, they seem kind of cheap to me. What do you think? Well, I myself completely eschew toys. But since I live with two oddly playful new Pomeranians whose tastes are novel to us, one thing I might say is that they love the toy. The tiny lamb toy is their favorite thing. They love the tiny squeaky lamb toys. They shred the tiny squeaky lamb toys after they squeak them for seven hours. (laughs) So then the human went and got different kinds of toys as well. There is one that is shaped like an alligator because the human is a jerk and is trying to make me anxious. There is one that is shaped like a monkey because the human is a sicko and wants to encourage ontologic confusion. There is one... (laughs) That is shaped like another monkey, but it's a different color, which apparently is also intended to make me insane. There is one that is a turtle, and it has little squeakers in every little fin. It has six fins. No turtle has six fins. I have pointed this out, but no one is being accurate. I just, I can tell you that our new sisters are extremely fond of these squeaky toys, and our brother is as usual, an embarrassment to the family. I mean, goblins apparently love these things, and he will play with the toy, he will thrash the toy, then he will strip the fur off the toy, then he will leave bits of the toy everywhere for the humans to clean up. I like that part because the humans <laughs> should work harder. <laughs> but the, I mean, as to toy preferences or whatever, these people seem to be bringing in a lot of toys. I mean, many toys everywhere. And the one new sister, she fetches the toy. If you throw the toy, she brings it back. Oh, and she likes it. I don't know. That's is that a dangerous precedent, Hedwig? I am never going to fetch anything. I mean, cheese. If you chuck some cheese, I'll go get it. It's no problem. But otherwise, so so it's, no. it's it seems that um, 
stuffed toys are a lovely toy for other dogs. But what about dogs who don't like toys? Is that is that something that Please. a dog should see a therapist about? Is it okay to not like toys? Of course, it's okay to not like toys. I don't like toys, and I am okay. Are you sure? <laughs> yes. What if it was a, a cheese? Con. Um, yeah. No. No. Now, you don't like toys, but you do like cheese. Am I right? Yes, and peanut butter. And peanut butter. But those are not toys. Those are food to be consumed. I had ice cream today. Yes, I see. I see. Did you ever like toys, Hedwig? No, because I was locked in a cage for most of my life. But thank you for bringing up my early trauma. Oh, God, the little dog yeah. is carrying the monkey. Yeah. And, and I, my I, sister. I, yeah, and your sisters have a similar background. Yes, but yeah. they're, I think, younger than but, I am. Like and toys. definitely yeah. insane because the one is now <laughs> holding down the monkey toy with her feet and then trying to walk at the same time. No. Oh. Well, that should ha- that should be videoed, alert your human, and put up oh, on the Ask Hedwig Facebook page. Absolutely. No, we're not putting videos of the stupid ones on my Facebook page. Uh, I mean, I put up a thing saying that they had a home. Isn't that enough? <laughs> Spoken like the generous I mean, I'm glad, Pomeranian that you are. I'm glad they have a home, and I like them. They're funny and interesting, but... I just am not 100% convinced that this is really overall the way to go to encourage them to think that they could be famous. I mean, the one mustard seed one, she has style. She does. I have to tell you, that dog has style. She walks around growling, and it is so awesome because you just know she's saying very inappropriate things. <laughs> <laughs> and I love that. Love that. And I've tried to tell them about horse shows, but they don't know about horse shows. And apparently we're never going to go to one. I heard Devin was canceled. I'm so happy. Uh, Every year I spend seven months at Devin. It's the longest seven months of the year. And now I don't have to go. God, I'm happy. Well, thank. We're glad that you're happy, and we appreciate yes, that, you. Yes, that makes us happy. That Eddie. makes us happy, and yeah, we, we appreciate you giving us your opinion on stuffy toys, toys and an update on your two sisters. Yeah, well, there'll be videos, I guess. Uh, there's so many photographs of the little wretches. <laughs> bye, bye, Henry. Thanks, Hetty. Bye. bye. I had been thinking that this would be um, a good time to talk to people or to t- or get everybody's tail tips. Um, I have certain things that I've done my whole life, and I'm sure Jen, you and uh, Tigger have your things that you do too. But you know, I've always ridden dressage, and um, I vented a long time ago. Um, and there's different ways to do their tails, but taking care of them for the most part always remains the same. And um, I think Tigger and I will probably share some of the same 
tips. Um, <laughs> I haven't said it. It's the a thousand and two thing that you can do. Um, but um, so I thought I would just sort of start with what I do because I, I I wash my horse's tails uh, once a week. Well, I would say once once a week to once every ten days, depending you know on how much they get turned out. And where I am in Texas, there's black gumbo, so it can really get in there. And um, I uh, now, before you go thing. any further, for those of us who do yes. not live in Texas, what explain what black, black gumbo, gumbo is. I know what it is because um, I'm a dirt crazy person, but other folks might not. Okay, black gumbo. I have to tell you, I thought when I lived in uh, in Virginia um, that red clay was an interesting thing. Um, it's not. Is interesting is I mean black gumbo it's it's so I I moved here and they everybody said if you're on gumbo um, you're you know you really can't turn your horses out I'm like oh that's ridiculous I I lived in red clay I'm telling you I've walked through red fields of red clay and my boots literally sucked off my feet I mean I I know what I'm doing I did not know what I was doing it <laughs> it has I can't even explain it it's just real sort of tarry feeling. Um, I think it's supposed to be very good for growing crops and it holds a lot of nutrients and all that is great. But when it gets wet, it really just gets super, super sticky and sort of tarry. Um, and once it dries, it's great, but, um, it's, it's just super interesting. So it can, it can clump in their hair and concrete to their body to the likes of something I've never seen. So, um, but um, the good news is, is that my regular tail regime really does work um, with this. So it's well, it, I, it's been somewhat challenging for, for the most part, though. So what I what I like to do, and I um, and I will say, it, it, let's just say if we start with a good kind of normal healthy tail. Um, I'll I'll wash it anywhere from you know once every seven days to maybe once every ten. Um, I'm a big, big person on, you know, you don't come through the tail, uh, you come from the bottom first, do all of it. Cause I don't like any, I was taught very early on, uh, by my first trainer, David DeWispelair, there should never be a tail, uh, a, a hair in a tail comb or a brush or, you know, you get in trouble. So I just never had done it. So I've brought that forward. So I, I, when I get my horses, um, I wet down the tail, um, and you know, you can use the type of shampoo that you like. I've always um, liked using, um, head and shoulders. That's a good one. There's a bunch of different, um, good horse shampoos that are out there. Um, um, I know that you love to use war horse. Um, I've used that before. I love the smell of that. It's really good. But what I do is I take whatever soap I'm going to use and I get a bucket after I've rinsed the tail and I'll put a little bit up around the top of the tail to get in and make sure that I can, um, uh, really get the tailbone clean. But I, I take the bucket and I saturate the tail that way. Cause I find that I can get the soap more throughout the tail and not over soap it because that's an issue. Cause sometimes horses won't, don't like to stand still if you don't have warm water. So I like to get as much, you know, I like to get the soap in there evenly, but not have so much soap that I'm sitting there with a hose trying to consistently get it out. So after I do that, I rinse the tail thoroughly, really, really well. And then um, I will go through with uh, many different things. But my number one thing that I love to do is I like to get coconut oil. And again, I like to massage that into the base of the tail. Now that is thing I will do. Um, I do that once because that can start to get a little bit too greasy. You could close that. But that leaves a really super nice sheen um, to the tail. Or you can you know, a favorite tail or 
conditioner and I've often used human products, um, that I like. Um, there's a, um, a company called Jason's that, um, does like kind of organic and they're in, in conditioners. Really good. Um, but after I do all of the, after I do that, and again, we're dressage people. So we do what's called banging the tail, which is you, you cut off the, the end of the tail, um, so it looks sort of flat and it, it goes with the outline of the horse when he's on the bit and it's a really beautiful look. So, um, so I'm always trying to prep the tail to be able to, to bang it properly. So at the end, after I do all that, I get all the conditioner out. Um, and I do rinse the coconut oil. Um, if I do it, massage it into the base, um, you can leave the coconut oil in the tail, but it will get a little, it will get a little bit too goopy. But then I take the tail, I go kind of midway down through the end, and then I'll sort of wing the tail around to get any excess water out of it. Um, so after that, I'll bring them back to, you know, their, the tack up area or wherever. And this is where I've started to use a bunch of different, uh, products, um, to help maintain, um, you know, the, the slickness of the tail, because I do, I like to go through every day to make sure that there's nothing in there. And I like to check the base of their tail and see what's going on. But I've started using a product called BioSilk. Um, it's a human product. You can get it on. Amazon and it's something after the tail you can just sort of massage through the end of the tail and it makes it really really slick. I don't know if you have you ever heard of that Tigger. It's, just, I have. it's sort of like I have. Okay, it's great stuff. Um, I've also used something called Canter Silk. I do not use only in a pinch will I use Shoshin because it's got um, silicone in it which tends to coat the tail which is nice for a quick but it does get it a little dry and brittle if you don't rinse it out. Um, canter silk is another nice product, but you know, I have horse, I've got a lot of horses with a lot of tails, so it can get kind of expensive. Um, but I really like this biosilk and there's like Vetrolin has something called Vetrolin sheen, which you can, you know, put through your tail as well. Um, that's, that's a nice product as well. Um, there are a couple of human products. One that is called, um, uh, it's called coconut miracle oil, um, that I actually use in my own. <laughs> that I really, really like. I can, you can get it at Walmart or Agathon and that really stays in their tail quite nicely. And it's a little bit different than just the coconut oil because it has a little bit um, of kind of a slippery um, that stays in it. But after I do all of that, um, then if I'm going to bang their tails, I either, um, you know, get, so when we bang their tail, which is the cutting of it, you, you want to lift their tail away from their body and um, dressage people often somebody's arm underneath it so it will look like the outline of the horse when um somebody's riding or you can get like a polo wrap and you don't want to do this with a young horse but because they can goose them a little bit but you can put the polo wrap under the tail and then you know very gently comb from the bottom holding the top um, of the tail above your hand and just gently work through if there's any um you know knots or whatever or pick through with your hand and once you get it all nice and slick and pretty and clean um, then you bang the bottom of it and you have a really beautiful tail. Do you guys have any other tips? Do you do anything different? I haven't cleaned a tail in five years. <laughs> yes, when you did. When you did. I know you use coconut oil. Coconut oil, sometimes cowboy magic. Um, yeah, cowboy magic is a good one. I, I was never a big Shoshin user. Yeah, I um, did for a long time, but then when I realized how brittle they were getting, yeah. I stopped using it. 
But I, how about I, you, Jen? Do you have any little different things that you do? A little bit more recently, uh, when I wash tails, I used to be the pick up a five gallon bucket of water and you kind of dip their tail into it so you can get the tailbone. Mm-hmm. But I, I've mm-hmm. always yeah. struggled with getting the soap out because if mm-hmm. you don't get the soap out of the long hairs at the bottom, really big deal. But if you don't get the hair, the soap out of the part where there's skin, you can cause yourself yeah. some issues, some horse issues. So I started using the horse shampoo that comes in that dispensing sprayer that you hook onto the hose. Oh, I have heard about that. Yeah. And that way I can just take that because it comes out with a rather a forceful spray. And I can just take that to get the tailbone part of things clean because you can squirt it right in there. And then I use the hose without the spray, without with clean water to rinse it out. So I'm sure to get all the soap out. But I use um, the one I use is made by Healthy Hair Care. Uh, I like mm-hmm. it because the soap is very gentle. It doesn't leave their hair dry because some of it depends on the soap. Some soaps make their hair, hair really mm-hmm. dry. And this one seems to be pretty darn gentle. Uh, so I've used that one. That's one of the things I've started doing and I'm in, I'm very happy with it. And Nigel has a very, very thick, dense, tons of hair tail. Mm-hmm. So I have to be very careful to get all that soap out. Um, something else. I noticed his tail was getting gummy the long strandy part. And he has this long, luxurious tail and it was getting gummy. I'm going, this sucks. What am I doing different than I didn't do before? And then it dawned on me because our horses get fly sprayed so often. Mm -hmm. It was getting, it it was gumming up his tail. So now whenever I put fly spray on him, I'm careful to grab hold of the long, beautiful hairs of his tail and hold them out of the way when I spray, particularly his hind legs and his tummy, because that's when it gets the, the fly by spray. I've been doing that. Right. Um, and I'm always sure to use conditioner. Every time I use mm-hmm, shampoo on a mm-hmm. tail, I always condition yep. it, whether it's uh, if you're if you're a show sheen nut. And again, be careful because it can dry their hair or you're a leave in conditioner. Uh, Scooter uses the bio silk style like you do. That's great for super mm-hmm. dry hair. Nigel just uses your basic put it in, rinse it out kind because his hair is mm-hmm. pretty, pretty healthy. But I definitely am a conditioner person. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So not a whole cool. lot different than yours. My my big light bulb moment of recent years is, oh, fly spray doesn't need to be on the tail. <laughs> it's already a fly swatter. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That, yeah. So, yeah, I think um, I'd be curious uh, if any of our listeners have any other tips that they do, um, whether it's dressage or venting. I mean, years ago, Kicker, remember, um, you know, we would always cut up by the top of the tail. Um, I don't think people have done that in a long time. Do you no. remember that? Yep. Oh, you yeah. mean that? You mean the clip, I, I, clip their tail instead of pull it? No, just yeah, well, shape the the top yeah, of the tail yeah. so that it. Yeah, we would always just shave it, but you know, event people, I think, would pull it. I know yeah. that. Oh I, I yeah, we always pull tails. Oh, that was miserable. Did you? Oh okay. gosh. Yeah. Horrible thing. Yeah. <laughs> Gosh. Yes, you got a lot of yeah. kneecaps pulling tails. I have long since given up pulling manes or tails. I figure mm-hmm. um, human beings have advanced to the point of creating all sorts of scissors and clippers. Our horses don't need to have their ears pulled out for me anymore. I don't, I don't, no. yeah, I don't, I, you know, when I realized that um, a lot of times when you pull it out, they actually are bleeding, I yeah, thought, yeah. why? I couldn't do that. Why anymore. am I asking this horse to perform? at such a level and then I'm going to go all up and down his neck and make it irritated enough that it's bleeding. And I thought, no, I'm 
I'm not going to do that. (laughs) So I don't do that. I don't do that. Yeah. So, yeah. So there we go. Yeah. Let it, let us know, go to uh, healthy critters on Facebook and pop in with your helpful, handy hints and barn hacks for making manes and tails beautiful, whether they're long manes or short manes or fuzzy manes or curly Mm -hmm. manes or manes on fuzzy dogs. It's Critter Nutrition Time, and we're going to talk about Biostar's next generation of probiotic formulas. Biostar didn't reinvent the wheel on probiotics, I have to say, but Biostar has put in the time and research to develop the next generation of probiotic supplements for horses and dogs. We've spent the last five years studying and assessing important components and cofactors for healthy GI tracts. It all comes back to dirt. Did you say dirt? One thing even a casual observer will note is that many mammals, including humans, love to play and roll in the dirt. The nose and lips of horses are in contact with dirt as they graze. Wild mammals across the globe, whether they eat plants or other animals, end up inhaling and eating soil, bacteria, and fungi. The microbiome of mammals is huge and complex. This contact with soil has important health benefits we are only just beginning to understand. What's so great about dirt? Soil is a fascinating ecosystem. Healthy soil is made up of a matrix of microorganisms, bacteria, fungi, minerals, fatty acids, humic acids, fulvic acids, and micronutrients. Worms create superhighways in healthy soil for bacteria and fungi to assist the plant's uptake of nutrients. It's a living dynamic system. Soil is the foundation for the entire terrestrial plant world and all living things. Get dirty. Researchers in Finland have found that changes in the biodiversity of the microbiome, skin and GI tract, has an effect on the immune system. Disruptions can contribute to increases in allergies. Their research showed that children who lived in rural areas had more diverse bacteria on their skin than children living in more urban areas. A later study showed that mice who were housed in bedding mixed with potting soil did not develop lung inflammation in response to an asthma-triggering allergen. The mice who lived on clean bedding were more susceptible to lung inflammation. What does soil have to do with the GI tract of horses and dogs? The fact is, our horses and dogs are spending less time with their noses in grass and dirt. When horses are out grazing, they're in contact with soil-based microorganisms, fungi, and bacteria. When dogs are digging in the dirt or enjoying a bone in the grass, they are in contact with the soil microbiome. The soil microbiome has played a symbiotic role with mammals for thousands of years. When ingested, these beneficial bacteria and fungi can protect against pathogens, support microbial diversity in the GI tract. Fulvic acid replenishes nutrients and enzymes. Studies have shown that fulvic acid plays an important role in intestinal tight junctions and healing gastric ulcers. The biodiverse nature of soil-based microorganisms supports the immune system. Soil is actually the most diverse habitat on Earth. But there's been a decrease in biodiversity of soil. The over-reliance on chemical fertilizers, weed killers, and pesticide sprays has contributed to a decrease in biodiversity of soil. 
Remember, soil is a living system and it is affected by what we do. The lack of biodiversity in present day soils affects our horses, dogs and ourselves. The diversity of the human gut microbiome is decreasing because biodiversity in the environment is decreasing. The soil ecosystems are affected by numerous factors. Pesticides, herbicides, insecticides, and fungicides are harmful to soil communities because they reduce the diversity of soil-based microorganisms. Some pesticides interfere with enzymes produced by soil microbes. This alters soil fertility and nutrient cycling. Soils that are disturbed regularly by intensive tillage have reduced numbers of fungi. Soils that become flooded have lower numbers of fungi. Compacted soils degrade the microenvironment of soils that the bacteria, fungi, and earthworms need. Chemical fertilizers reduce the microbial community and the bacterial diversity. Soils with depleted humus and therefore reduced humic acids have less trace elements such as zinc available to plants and have reduced calcium and phosphorus for plant uptake. High diversity soil contains humus, which is the decomposition of leaves and other plant material over long periods of time. Humic and fulvic acids are found in humus and in ancient decomposed plant materials such as shilajit, lignite, and reed sedge peat, which date back to the Triassic, Jurassic, and Pleistocene periods. What makes a high diversity soil matrix? Soil-based microorganisms, bacteria, fungi, and fulvic acids increase soil nutrients and water transport and utilization to plants. Soil-based microorganisms decompose organic matter released by the plant roots. They also provide nitrogen and can keep pathogenic, unfriendly bacteria in check. Bacteria increase nutrient availability to plants. Certain bacteria dissolve phosphorus, making it more available for plants to use. Fungi regulate the balance of carbon and nutrients in the soil. Certain fungi possess the ability to act as an effective biosorbent of toxic metals such as cadmium, mercury, and lead. These soil fungi are also biological controllers that can regulate diseases and pests. Some scientists classify these fungi as ecosystem regulators. Humic acids stimulate microbial activity in the soil and increase cell wall permeability of plants so that the nutrients are easily absorbed. They can also chelate toxic minerals, preventing harmful material from entering the plant. Fulvic acids bind to soil nutrients and transfer those nutrients to plants. Some soil researchers describe fulvic acid, acids as the rail cars that carry vital nutrients to the plant. How healthy is your soil? Many people don't like dandelions, so they spray pesticides to get rid of them. They want a beautiful lawn, so they add chemical fertilizers. Horse pastures are often chemically treated with herbicides and fertilizers. Manure spreaders have fallen out of use, sadly, thus robbing the pasture soil of organic matter. In many places, manure is required by ordinance to be removed. Many of our horses and dogs are not getting the health benefits of healthy, biodiverse soil. 
Biostar has combined strains of several beneficial soil-based bacteria plus fulvic and humic acids with the traditional Chinese mushroom shaga into a liquid supplement. This advanced probiotic supplement represents a microcosm of healthy biodiverse soil. This liquid supplement is made with purified water because the biota, fungi, and humic acids play an important role in water transportation in the soil. Health benefits. Provides active soil-based bacteria that can increase the diversity of beneficial bacteria in the GI tract. Supports the immune system by increasing the microbiome diversity. Soil-based bacteria are hardy and can survive passage through the stomach unlike other probiotic strains. Needs no refrigeration. Supports healthy digestion. Provides the adaptogenic mushroom shaga for supportive homeostasis. Supports a healthy immune system and liver function. Provides antioxidant support. Fulvic and humic acids aid in nutrient delivery. They support an optimal environment for beneficial bacteria to flourish in the gut. The mitochondria support from fulvic and humic acids are required for cellular respiration, ATP production, and metabolism. What dogs or horses would benefit? Horses who have limited access to pasture and grazing and urban dogs. Horses or dogs whose pasture soil or backyards have been exposed to chemical fertilizers, herbicides, and pesticides. Horses or dogs with allergies or other immunocompromised issues. Horses whose pastures have recently flooded. Horses or dogs on antibiotic therapy. Horses or dogs with IBS or diarrhea and dogs with food sensitivities. Coming this summer for dogs is Symbiotic Canine and for horses TriGuard, our special ulcer paste that includes Symbiota ingredients. Symbiota EQ is expected to be released later in 2020. So now we're at Coffee Clatch and our question is, if your dog could write his or her own autobiography, what would the title be? Um, I've chosen three of my dogs, um, uh, the first one being Kimasabi, and um, the title of his autobiography would be Leader of the Pack. Uh. <laughs> How about you, Patty? Well, I, I chose to actually do um, a, a cat and a dog. Perfect. And... Um, Yes. Um, I would like to start with Angus, who is uh, my French bulldog. And the title of his book would be It's a Thug Life. <laughs> but he's a French because bulldog. He's, yep, he's a thug. He's a little bit of a thug. He thinks he's a thug, you know. He thinks he's, that, he, he thinks he's a thug. And he's not. He's not. He's the most sweetest thing. But he thinks he's, he thinks he's thug-esque. So... Um, and and no one's ever going to tell him differently. Just so just so you guys know that. But uh, no, so it would be a, it's a thug's life. And then I have a beautiful, absolutely stunning ragdoll cat that my daughter Hannah has. Um, I had a beautiful name of Myla, and she referred to her uh, as Fupa. So her name has been Fupa, which means um, well, you know, it's an, an acronym for. But um, anyway, um, it, um, her her title would be Yes, I really am that good looking. <laughs> And she is. She is. 
and she she just expects everybody to look at her as if she's that attractive. So um, those are my two. What about you, Jen? Oh gosh, I'm trying to think what would what would Glory the Greyhound's autobiography be, have been? Title. Hmm. I don't know what hers. Oh, I'm going to go back a generation to our first okay. gray, our first Greyhound, Bam Bam. Oh yeah, Bam Bam, and her her autobiography would have been "I Love You Too." Oh, oh, that gave me chills. There was not a breathing creature on the planet that she didn't love. Oh, oh, that's so sweet. Yeah, every everybody, even if she was terrified of it, because she was terrified of the horses. She, she's. You could tell she's like, I love you, but I'm really, really scared of you. <laughs> You could just, it was oh, written all that. over her face. <laughs> yes, she loved the whole world. Yep. In her, Aww, in her very quiet, sweet. sedate, greyhound way. Yep. That's so sweet. I have no idea what Glories would be. I'm, I'm, I'm at a loss on that one. Well, what? my other, the <laughs> other two that I picked were um, Buckaroo and his would be Don't Mind the Humans. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They can't help it. <laughs> that would be the subtitle, um, yeah. Yeah. Um, and Wookiees would be confess- Confessions of a Badass. Mm-hmm. So well, uh, let us know what, what uh, your dog or cat, uh, what the title of their autobiography would be. And you can go to Healthy Critters Radio on Facebook or HealthyCrittersRadio.com. Thanks for listening, everyone, and thanks to our sponsor, Biostar US. You can find them online at biostarus.com. Get the Horse Radio Network phone app on iOS or Android by searching for Horse Radio Network in the App Store. It's free and easy to use. For details about today's show, go to healthycrittersradio.com, where you can find links, photos, and more information about our guests. As always, we love your feedback. Please follow us on Facebook under Healthy Critters Radio. Be sure to visit all the great shows on Horse Radio Network at horseradionetwork.com. Love your dog. Hug your horse. Feed your chickens. Clean your litter box. Dance with your goat. Slither with your snakes. Howl at the moon. Hang with your hamster. Party with your parrot. Waddle with your walrus. Outwit your otter. Cuddle your cows. Rap with your raptor. Go chipping with your chipmunks. Forgive your fox while hedging your hog. We also recommend that you rack with your raccoon. Gyrate with your giraffe. Meditate with a meerkat. Uber with your orangutan. Facebook with your flamingo. Ponder with your panda. Walk with your wookie. Yawn with your yak. Twitter with your toucan. Go raining with your reindeer. Dropbox your dragon. (laughs) 